This is the View from the Couch podcast, and I'm your host, Pierce Wiesenar. On the program today, I will be recapping Eastwatch, the fifth episode of Season 7 from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is trying to walk and chew gum at the same time. By that, I mean trying to have the White Walkers as a threat, and also have the battle between Cersei and Danny happen at the same time. Both are crucial to the story, but both don't mix well together, as seen in the Citadel during the Meeting of the Maesters. We, the audience, know that the White Walkers are real, but only a handful of characters do. For all their time, money, and smart crew members, Game of Thrones has failed to produce a way to convince the characters in the show that the White Walkers are real and no longer just a myth. Sam, for all of his smarts, can't convince people. He leads with the wrong information because the show is playing it fast and loose in regards to characters. We are now forcing characters to bend to the will of the plot, and in several cases, it has disastrous results. Sam is now incapable of doing what he did during the election of the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. State your case and make a compelling argument. Instead, he doesn't make a great case, and the audience are left with a scene that creates tension in a strange way. Also, Sam doesn't know that his father and brother were both burned alive. Now, why is that information kept from him? Archmaester Ebros just didn't have the heart to tell him. Well, that's not good enough. With Sam leaving, you wonder if he will stop by Horn Hill on the way back north and learn the news. In one of the most groan-inducing moments you'll see on TV this year, Gilly drops realm-shattering news. John isn't a bastard. Last year, we learned that John wasn't the son of Ned Stark, but the son of his sister, Lyanna Stark, and Rhaegar Targaryen, who was the older brother of Danny before he was killed by Robert Baratheon. This moment is up there with Jon's resurrection and the reveal of his true parentage as the biggest thing spoiled by the show. We learn that Jon isn't a bastard, no, he is a Targaryen, as Prince Rhaegar got his marriage annulled and married Lyanna Stark before Jon's birth, meaning that Jon has a better claim on the Iron Throne than Danny. Now when you're revealing some of the most important information of the series, how do you go about doing that? Now towards the bottom of that list of ideas, would be what Thrones does here. In a throwaway line, Game of Thrones casually changes the game as if revealing Jon's legitimacy is no big deal. But since Jon hasn't changed much after coming back from the dead, it actually fits very nicely with his character. After maybe a few months at the Citadel, Sam has had enough, and can you blame him? All he wants to do is the right thing, and that's to save the realm from the White Walkers and at every turn he has been rebuffed. Instead, he's spending a whole lot of time cleaning dishes, transcribing old scrolls, and a whole host of other activities that prevent him from doing what he was sent there to do. So he heads north, armed with a stack of scrolls and books, hoping that they will hold the key in the battle against the White Walkers. I was a little surprised that Bran could warg into multiple birds, but since the show has turned Bran into a plot device, it actually kind of works. The fly north to Eastwatch and then beyond the wall was beautiful. Whoever is in charge of locations and scouting for them deserves more credit because the vast expanse of winter, snow, ice, and the cold was exciting to see from the point of view of a bird. Bran sees the army of the dead and they are a sea of whites. Last time we saw a few giants among them and it really makes you wonder how the living can defeat the dead. Just like when Bran got marked by the Night's King last season, our main baddie is aware of Bran when he uses magic. Once again, we get a little tease of the battle to come, slowly building towards a climax that has been seven years in the making. So, no pressure. 
The various lords of the north and Vale are getting a little angry. For all of the talk that John is the king in the north, the king isn't in the north. He's been on Dragonstone for the whole season, and it doesn't look like he has sent a raven or two to Winterfell, updating them on his mission. While a king has a certain degree of power, John was elected. As quickly as the crown was put on his head, it can be removed just as swiftly. While Sansa is playing the Game of Thrones and ruling in John's stead, Arya sees something else. She sees people that are bad-mouthing her brother, their king, and deserve to die. Now, Arya has always been a bright character, but I think in between seasons 6 and 7, she might have been lobotomized, because once again, she's not making any sense. She wants to kill the people that her family rules over. I mean, these are the same people that she has known for her entire life. The Arya character is so wildly inconsistent. In one scene, she's out for blood, another, she resembles a human being, and another time, well, she's just wearing someone else's face. It would all be great if at each turn we are learning new sides to the Arya character and doing a real deep dive into her troubled life, but we are far too late in the game to do all that. Instead, it feels like Arya is acting in a different show, and that is not a good thing. I, for one, cannot stand the Arya character anymore. For all of the criticism I give Bran, at least he serves a purpose. So what is the point of Arya nowadays? She wants to kill and little else. Aside from the moments of fan service, like her training session from Brienne and killing the phrase, she's becoming more unlikable and more unwatchable with each passing scene. And for all of her time with the Faceless Men, you'd think that Arya would be a better spy. But the show cherry picks what is important and what isn't when it comes to past seasons. So when you spend two years in the House of Black and White, and all you get are some really neat lockpicking skills, it simply boggles the mind. After all this time spinning our wheels with Littlefinger, we finally get something. After striking out with Jon, Sansa, and Bran, he tries to play a game with Arya. So what kind of game is it? Is it Duck Duck Goose? Is it Pin the Tail on the Dire Wolf? No, it's a weird cat and mouse game between the two. Hopefully it actually goes somewhere where something happens instead of being a wild goose chase. We start the episode where the last one ended because when your final shot is Jamie drowning, you have to show us what happens next. Apparently, when you're wearing heavy metal armor and a solid gold hand, you can easily be picked up out of the water. Now I know that Jamie is like a few other characters in the show and wears plot armor, which means that essential characters are protected from dangerous situations. So when you have someone sinking like a stone one week and later we see them being fished out of the water, you know what's going on. I understand that Jamie riding with a spear looks cool and all, but if this was how that scene was going to end, I'd rather the show go in a different direction. Tyrion walks through the battlefield littered with dead bodies and covered in ash, thinking to himself, this is not what I signed up for. With Danny holding court with the survivors, offering a simple deal, bend the knee or die. It's a deal that a few take right off the bat, and a few need just a little more convincing that takes the form of Drogon roaring at them while others need to see a father and son burned alive in order for them to be convinced that siding with Danny might be the best move. For all the people that believe that Danny in the books will turn out like her father, the Mad King, this scene might give some credence to that theory. After burning their companions, Danny offers up peace and reveals the harsh reality of the situation. Surely, after the most terrifying battle of their lives, what soldiers really want to hear is more death. 
coming from the woman that burned their friends and fellow soldiers alive. The spokes on a wheel line works well on slaves, but not on soldiers. Danny has a profound lack of self-awareness in that scene. You end up seeing what made Missandei stick around after being freed is meaningless. The show changes Danny's motivation whenever it needs to, and here the flaws of doing that are revealed. You can't offer up peace and try to win over the hearts and minds of the soldiers after they survived a dragon attack. Whatever your feelings are on the deaths of Randall and Dickon Tarly, they died because the size of the cast has to be trimmed down. Even if their motivations to die on their feet rather than live on their knees is stupid, the size of the cast and the plot determine the fate of the show. Jamie returns to King's Landing and is in a mood. You'd be too if you just witnessed the Battle of the Loot Train and almost drowned. Cersei, however, is in a very different mood. She's actually quite upbeat in the face of near death. It's clear that the Lannisters can't win in their fight against Danny. For all of the gold they'll get from the Iron Bank, for all of Euron's ships, and for all of the scorpion bolts that Kyburn can make, Danny has three dragons. You can either fight and end up like the Tarleys, or you can sue for peace, as Cersei sarcastically suggests. Danny returns to Dragonstone, and Drogon is quickly healed from the scorpion bolt. Drogon wars at Jon, which is a scary way to say hello, but since Jon is Jesus, Superman, Azor Ahai, and the prince that was promised all wrapped up in some fur, he is able to have a touching moment with Drogon. How is Jon able to do that? Is it because he's a Targaryen, and all Targaryens are able to do this with dragons? I'm not sure about it because it smells of fanservice. But before Danny and Jon can continue their conversation about strength, Jorah returns. What a lovely reunion between the two. Jorah has the hots for Danny because she reminds him of his ex-wife. Danny loves Jorah but really as an uncle, and Jon is just standing there, failing to mention that he carries the Mormont ancestral sword. For all of the dots surrounding the scene, the show fails to connect any of them because the power of a hug reigns supreme. Bran's raven reaches Dragonstone, and the news is not good. Jon has spent much of the season trying to convince people that White Walkers are coming, but no one has lifted so much as a finger with the news of that threat. But now that Bran tells of the coming invasion, everyone wants to do something about it. I just wish that the show was consistent with the threat of the White Walkers. Now, either they're a big deal or no deal at all. Just pick one and then stick with it. For the first time in over a season, Tyrion is drinking. I found that a little shocking as he's been sober for quite some time, but when all that you hold dear is either going up in Dragonfire or will be frozen by the White Walkers, splitting a bottle with Varys seems like the right decision. Jon is floored that Arya and Bran are alive. Just like Sansa, Jon thought both were dead for years and suddenly they are back at home waiting for him. With that news and the letter, Jon has new wind in his sails in the fight against the White Walkers. Tyrion has another bright idea. This one will unite the realm and prove to the two queens of Westeros that the White Walkers are back. Jon will go beyond the wall, capture a White or a White Walker, and go on a dog and pony show across the Seven Kingdoms showing everyone that the real threat lies north. Now all of that is far easier said than done, and I can't think of a dumber idea, but don't tell that to Jon, who is ready to go, and Jorah, who volunteers. It feels like to me that the show kind of wrote itself into a corner with the use of Drogon. When you let the dragons out the bag, you can't put them back in. 
So with the Battle of the Iron Throne all but over at this point, Thrones must go north to fight the true battle of the show. With Jon headed beyond the wall, Tyrion decides to return to King's Landing in order to seek an alliance with his siblings in the fight for survival against the Night's King. When Tyrion meets with Jaime, it was a scene that had so much potential. I mean, these are two brothers divided by war, but united by blood, trying to find a way to stop all of the fighting. Instead of giving two of the best actors in the show a scene to display their talent and show all that has changed since the last time these two characters have seen each other, their moment is cut short because Gendry's back. Last time we saw the bastard son of Robert Baratheon, he was rowing from Dragonstone to King's Landing. And Davos makes a joke about that and almost winks right at the camera in the process. Bringing back Gendry was great as a fan of the show, but now he's such a flimsy character. He gets a nice buzz cut and can't stop talking about how much he loves a father that he never knew. In case you couldn't tell by his giant hammer, he can fight like his dad, Robert Baratheon. And in case you didn't know, he's a bastard like his new best friend, Jon Snow. With the pacing of the season moving very quickly, I worry that the many characters in the show, like Gendry, aren't properly developed and revert to maybe one or two dimensional characters, ones without any depth, focus, and proper motivations. Jamie returns to Cersei to tell her of his meeting with her brother, but Cersei already knows about it. Kyburn is not only the Hand of the Queen, but also the Master of Whispers. How is it possible that Kyburn has a more vast and accurate spy network than Varys, whose entire character is built on information? I guess Kyburn isn't just Frankenstein, but also Willy Wonka, and is handing out the best candy in all of Westeros. The only reason I can come up with is that the writers made it all happen. Another shocking development from the writers is Cersei's pregnancy. Who decided this was a good idea? Isn't Cersei a bit old to be having kids? I understand how important children are to these two, with their three kids being dead, and with Cersei being a queen, she would like to have someone other than Danny sitting on the Iron Throne. But still, it's a bit of a stretch, so much of a stretch, that I wouldn't be shocked to see Cersei lie to Jaime about the pregnancy in order to keep him in the fold because without Jaime, Cersei is truly alone in the world. With Cersei accepting an armistice in the name of their child, it seems like a bizarre pause on a much-hyped battle between the two queens. As Jon leaves for Eastwatch, Danny admits that she has grown accustomed to Jon. Well, if you've watched any of the previous episodes this season, you know that is a lie. All of a sudden, it's as if the show wants to put Jon and Danny together with Danny giving John flirty eyes for the entire episode. Just don't forget folks, for all of the incest between Jamie and Cersei, Danny is John's aunt. So, there's that. John arrives at Eastwatch and finds a couple of brothers without banners waiting for him in the cells. While they are divided by bars, their mission to save the realm unites them. No matter what past history any of them have, John needs all of the help that he can get if he's to come back from this one alive. So the Westerosi All-Stars include Gendry, a blacksmith by trade, but he has the warrior spirit in his blood. Thoros of Myr, a red priest with a knack for bringing back people from the dead. Beric Dondarrion, the lightning lord that has received the kiss of life too many times to count because whatever kills you kind of makes you stronger. Sandor Clegane, or the fighter formerly known as the Hound, Jorah Mormont, if he can survive Grayscale, surviving the White Walkers, should be a cakewalk. 
Tormund Giantsbane, who's pretty bummed that they didn't bring the big woman, and the captain of the Westerosi All-Stars is Jon Snow. He's the King of the North. For all of the hype surrounding this suicide squad of swords, flames, hammers, and beards, we don't get the weapons montage we all need. Now, I understand that their mission is to capture and not kill a white or a white walker, but they will need to protect themselves from the deadliest threat that doesn't breathe fire. Hopefully that montage is somewhere in a Blu-ray extra, because it would have been amazing to watch in real time. With only two hours left in the show, it's crazy to think that the season is almost over. We've covered so much ground in such a short period of time. Doing these episode recaps have been harder than previous seasons because so much happens each week. And while we get another fabulous ending of an episode with John leading the team beyond the wall, it's easy to forget some of the scenes that came before it. Apparently, Cersei is pregnant and doesn't care who knows that Jaime is the father. Arya is playing a cat and mouse game with Littlefinger because when you've got two longtime characters that have nothing better to do, I mean, why not? Sam has left the Citadel and doesn't know that his father and brother were burned alive. In Eastwatch, we get more plot and a few sprinkles of fan service to keep the Twitter hashtags at bay, but zero progression on character arcs because the show doesn't have characters anymore. If I had to give this episode a grade, I would give it a C+. The trailer for next week's episode, titled Death is the Enemy, shows Jon and his band of merry men finding the real enemy beyond the wall, as Danny waits with Tyrion and Arya talks about fear in a voiceover. The second half of the trailer has some quick cuts of action and text saying that winter is here. Jon battles a white walker, Gendry brings the pain with his hammer, and Beric says flame on as his sword catches fire. Game of Thrones has a long history of ending the season on a high note, especially the penultimate episode of each season. And from the trailer, Death is the Enemy looks to be another terrific addition to that list. If you like the show and want some more episodes, just subscribe for more, and don't forget to rate the show and to share the episode. This has been another episode of the View from the Couch podcast. Thanks for listening.